Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Hey, if you're a fellow podcaster, let me tell you about Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. That's right. They're providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And let them know the nerds sent you by adding our podcast, The Amazing Nerd Show, in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. Once again, that's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Alert. If you are hearing this warning, the bay doors are sealed. The experiments are loose. And it is too late to escape. Don't be afraid of me. Welcome, nerd, to 147th voyage of the Amazing Nerd Show. And welcome to Horror Month. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. Christian, happy Halloween, man. Happy Halloween, Damon. And welcome to our Halloween special. Yes, it's the final episode of Horror Month. But most importantly, Halloween's here. Yes. So it's actually wednesday when we're recording this episode uh-huh. so me and my wife right now are like debating like how much candy we actually need for halloween just because of everything going on with the pandemic like how many trick-or-treaters are we really gonna have because i don't be stuck with a whole fucking bag of candy and then i'm just you know ended up eating it all you know the week after and just becoming a giant fat ass um you know because i'm already a giant fat ass but anyway <laughs> all i've been doing is eating for the last like six months i don't know about you but <laughs> It's becoming a serious fucking problem. Uh, I'm at the point where I'm thinking I'm going to need a new belt soon. Like, it's bad. Yeah. (laughs) I started looking at exercise bikes the other day, like on Amazon. That that tells you how bad it is. But anyway, I digress. Um, We're trying to figure out how many bags of candy we need because we don't get tons of trick-or-treaters. But we hmm. do get, like, some older trick-or-treaters that come later. And I feel like those guys are still going to be out regardless. Um, we start to discuss though, like how old were we when we stopped trick or treating? I don't know. Mm. Like my wife thinks it was like in like middle school. I was saying, I think it was probably like freshman year for me. What, what, what says you though? Cause I mean, you're obviously much younger than me. So you probably remember. <laughs> Cause uh, it was probably, it was probably last like, year, honestly. No, right? no, no. <laughs> It was like junior year of high school for me. Like we we kept saying, "Hey, we shouldn't go, but we can." So let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did, were you in costume at least? Yes, yes. I was a evil Mad Hatter, full of like special effects, makeup, and everything. See, I don't care if you come to the door <laughs> and you're in costume because at least you're putting the effort in and you're like celebrating mm. the spirit of Halloween. That's great. It's when like I get fucking teenagers with just you know the plain clothes on and a fucking pillowcase. Then it's like, dude, you're not even trying. Get off my uh-huh. fucking porch. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take an egging for that. I I don't care. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it was freshman year for me and I, and it was all because I'm an idiot. Like I got this really fucking sweet, like Michael Myers mask and I'm like, you know, walking around with my friends, not causing any kind of mischief. We were definitely armed though with eggs just in case. Cause I mean, that's okay. how you have to, you have to roll <laughs> the Chicago suburbs. Um, sure. so, <laughs> so 
my dumbass though. I have a group of kids come up like, hey, is that so-so underneath the mask? And I went ahead and I lifted up my fucking mask like a complete idiot to like get like a like just completely pie-faced by fucking just a whole half can of shaving cream. You know, and then of course an egg fight ensued and it was just complete <laughs> anarchy. <laughs> and I think that's honestly the last time I went trick-or-treating. My mask had like fucking, you know, eggs in it and shit. Like I was so pissed off. Uh, <laughs> so but that yeah, that was it for me. I mean, maybe once or twice after that, but I think I was done at that point. You know, so but you're saying sixteen is probably like socially acceptable, you know, I cutoff. feel like Maybe 14, 15. I definitely knew I shouldn't be going anymore. Okay. <laughs> Where it felt awkward. Uh-huh. Well, what was great was because I was had all this, like, special effects makeup on and stuff. Like, Chipotle was doing a thing where you would get a free burrito <laughs> if oh, you really? went in. So I'm standing there in line. There's a crying child behind me because oh. I look disgusting. And I'm just <laughs> ordering my food like it's normal. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Tormenting children, even then. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> but anyway, so speaking of Michael Myers and Halloween, obviously, we've got our final countdown this week. Now I've got the Europe song playing in my head. Um, <laughs> but we're going to be going ahead and we're going to be counting down our top 10 favorite slasher films. I don't know about you, but this was definitely our most difficult countdown for me to come up with. So I, I lost sleep, literally, for this <laughs> countdown. So, um, all right. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and take care of some housekeeping. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot. Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Up first, Oscar Isaac in talks to star in Marvel's Moon Knight. So the rep is reporting that Oscar Isaac is in talks to play Mark Spector slash Moon Knight, um, the mercenary who ends up being resurrected by the Egyptian god of the moon to be his avenging fist. Uh, we know recently that they signed on a showrunner, Jeremy Slater of Umbrella Academy. And today, Deadline's reporting that uh, filmmaker Mohamed Diab, uh, who's super critically acclaimed, um, he did a film called Cairo 678, uh, he is going to be directing the show. So, I mean, which makes a lot of sense because of his Egyptian heritage and a lot of, obviously, Moon Knight's origin comes from Egypt. So, um, I don't know, man. How do you feel about this news? I know for like a couple months now, we've been hearing rumors that they're looking at someone like Keanu Reeves to be taken on the role. And a lot of fans have been, you know, begging basically <laughs> for that to happen. How do you feel about this casting? If this is true. Yeah, you know, right off the bat, I, I felt like Oscar Isaac seems like perfect for this. I mean, I have I don't know too much about Moon Knight in general. Uh, it's not never been a character I've personally followed, but I don't know why. That idea stuck with me a little bit more than Keanu Reeves. I actually agree 100%. I like this casting a lot better than Keanu Reeves. I just feel like as an actor, Oscar Isaac has a lot more range. And since with like, you know, Moon Knight, I mean, Mark Spector has multiple personalities. So you're definitely going to need like someone with like some serious acting skills and not downplaying Keanu Reeves. He's good at what he does, but I feel like he just... He's not the same level 
of actor when it comes to like you know oscar isaac i mean keanu reeves kind of just plays keanu reeves in every movie that he's in right where oscar isaac i feel like we've seen him in different roles you know we know what he's capable of so and it just feels like a good fit and we know he can handle the physicality too of the role so and he's probably 20 years younger i think (laughs) keanu is fucking 56 years old Yes, but, I mean, he can still go, at least. He can, but <laughs> how much longer? <laughs> I didn't realize he was that old, I think. Like, I I don't know. Like, just caught me off guard today when I was, you know, reading one of the articles. I was like, holy yeah, shit. That's exactly what I was saying last time, though. Were you? I, I thought he was in his, I don't know, man, 56. I, I thought he was in his early 50s. I don't know why that's any better. <laughs> but... <laughs> Jesus. Um, but yeah, no, I, maybe I'm just feeling old. I think I'm just feeling old. <laughs> so, but anyway, um, yeah, no, I, I think this would be great casting if it's true. I really, I, I'd be super on board with this. All right. Well, up next, Netflix announces live action Assassin's Creed series. Yes. Yeah, so it looks like they're going to be doing a series based on the popular gaming franchise uh, by uh, Ubisoft. They revealed that Ubisoft's Jason Altman and Daniel Kernick will be serving as executive producers um, and there's really no other further detail. They did share like an extremely like small teaser image, um, uh, you know, I'm guessing of artwork from the, you know, what the series would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian, you're the gamer. So I remember kind of there was a movie, right? With Michael yes. Fassbender. Mm-hmm. It kind of looked like the shits. I don't, I didn't see it. <laughs> Um, it was considered one of the better video game movies. Ever. Was it? Did you enjoy it? It was okay. I, I, it felt like the same level as uh, Tomb Raider for me, the the new one that came out. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't know how you feel about a series. Like, do you feel like this is a better format to tell the story? You know, um, it depends on how they take it. You know, like the story of Assassin's Creed can be messy, um, pretty messy with like how they handle the future, the past, the present. And all that kind of junk. If they just focus on the assassins, like the game direction that um, recently has been going, then yeah, it'll be perfect. I mean, if they do like an anthology series and they just focus on, you know, assassins in the past, um, different eras and stuff like that, I think that's a splendid idea. I don't know <laughs> if that's where they'll go, especially after how the movie was, because the movie was taking on all those different time aspects and like how you know you're you're living in your ancestor's body and then you take you know the knowledge of how he fought into the present and then you can fight people yeah it's (laughs) i was right that sounds like the shits (laughs) (laughs) so um it was the highlander but not as cool yes that's a great way of describing it (laughs) Just with time travel, like confusing as fuck time travel. So you're jumping into your ancestors' bodies? Yes. So like the main premise of the game is that like they created a machine that like allows you to travel, like not travel in time, but like plugs your ancestors' memories into your mind. And so like you're living out their like memories throughout your head. And like um, the main character finds out that, you know, his past, there was an assassin in his line and stuff like that and it unlocks this whole mystery and shit that's been going on it's, do you, it's, do you get your ancestors like skill set too well yes but it's kind of like they didn't get to that point like they got there but it was very disappointing <laughs> like by the third game you finally get you bring all those skills to the present and it's very shitty <laughs> 
Sounds like you're not a fan. <laughs> I, I was actually a massive fan of this game franchise, and like okay. anyone, like uh, could tell you, I, I was, you know, rooting for it. I bought T-shirts and everything, but that third game came out, and it like crushed my hopes. Now they did make better games afterwards. Okay. Um, you know, the current franchise is being still like praised, but it doesn't have you know me backing it. As so much. would you like to see them kind of like streamline the concept and just keep it like an assassin story like that's just following like this whole lineage of assassins throughout time and not deal yes. at all with the time travel is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I fuck the time travel a- aspects and all the animus yeah. bullshit. Cuz I'm already getting a headache <laughs> thinking about that. Uh-huh. So <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to see them bring back Michael Fassbender? I mean, he's good in anything, really. He I is. Mean, he not is. a bad actor. <laughs> yeah, no, he is. But do you think that maybe it just would remind people of the film too much and maybe confuse Probably. people? I think um, the only like the only one people I could imagine making this work is maybe the people that have worked on Westworld, because since that's a very similar concept where they're you know pushing people not in in time, but it's kind of like they're getting to play out past mm-hmm. fantasies and stuff like that. That's the only way I can see that maybe working. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't we have no details right now, so exactly. we don't really know what direction they're going in. But I like the idea of like an anthology series. I feel like yes. that could work. So, all right. Well, on the horror front, Ginger Snaps franchise finds new life as a television series. Yeah. So Deadline's reporting that uh, it's going to be executive produced by John Fawcett, who co-created and directed the original film, and he also co-created uh, the critically acclaimed Orphan Black. So that's pretty big news. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the series. Um, I was a big fan of the first film. I think it's actually one of the best like werewolf like films we've had over the last like two decades or so. Um, we need more fucking werewolf films, man. There's just not yeah. enough. <laughs> Such an awesome concept that never gets explored anymore. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it, it makes perfect sense. I feel like it's a great like coming of age story and super timely nowadays. Um, I could see so many different like avenues they could take the story if they want mm-hmm. to. Um, I just hope it's not going to end up being like a CW show or something like that. <laughs> exactly. But I'm, I'm assuming John Fawcett wouldn't be behind it if that was the case. But it does totally feel like CW would adapt something like this and totally make it lame. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't I can't imagine that, especially after hearing that, you know, this was one of the people that also worked on Orphan Black. I, I feel like this probably has life on maybe a streaming service or yes. something where they can do a, a little bit more justice. I hope so. I hope mm. you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited for this. I don't know if he's going to have a different like take on it. You know, I mean, the first one was such a great like coming of age story, um, you know, really smart and clever. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm assuming that he's got some different kind of take that, you know, he'd want to be involved with this and on that level. All right, Damon, with that said, it's the grand finale of Horror Month, and we're talking slasher films. Now, why is this our topic for the final episode? Slasher films are arguably the most popular subgenre of horror. I mean, growing up an 80s kid and in the heyday of the slasher boom, their popularity had no bounds. So much so that many of these characters became instantly iconic and like are as now recognizable as classic movie monsters like Dracula and Frankenstein. So what's the real reason behind these films' popularity? I think for me, the slasher genre taps into something primal about our fears. I mean, as a premise, it doesn't really get more simplistic. 
survive the night while being stalked by a knife-wielding psycho. I mean, survival is the name of the game, and these films lend themselves to, like, escapism. They give us the therapeutic outlet to, like, laugh at our fears, and the permission to laugh in the face of death. I mean, where else are you going to have that opportunity? And while, like, effects and, you know, the super-powered boogeymen are definitely part of the allure, really, when done right, there is this strong underlying message of overcoming no matter what nightmares life throws at you. I mean, you can't get more cathartic than that, can you? But anyway, I digress. So before we get into our honorable mentions, there are rules to this countdown. In the name of variety, we are limiting the top 10 to one film per franchise. This has definitely made it more challenging for us, but we didn't want the top 10 to be overtaken by the rock stars of the subgenre like Freddy, Jason, and Michael. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, they're definitely well represented on this list, but now we get to sing some of the other film's praises also. So, honorable mentions, um, Psycho, Peeping Tom, and Deep Red, I mean, all films that really planted the seeds for the genre, um, and undeniable influences. Also, I mean, cult classics like Burning, uh, Madman, Alice Sweet Alice, all deserve some love, and let's not forget the ridiculously fun films like Pieces, Silent Night, Deadly Night, and Hatchet. So maybe I just cheated and gave you a peek at what this list would look like if it was a top 20, but hey, it's our show. Um, without further ado, let's get into our top 10 favorite slasher films of all time. Number 10, 1988's Child's Play. At the start of our list is the iconic debut of the killer doll named Chucky in Child's Play. Director Tom Holland, that's not of Spider-Man fame, brought horror to audiences with a murderous doll attacking an innocent child with fantastic animatronics and the great voice work of Brad Dorff. Child's Play is not one to be forgotten. It's an entirely fun thriller that still holds up today. Number 9 scream he said everybody dies but us everybody dies but us we gonna carry on and plan the sequel because let's face it baby these days you gotta have a sequel he's sick for fucks you've seen one too many movies now sid don't you blame the movies movies don't create psychos movies make psychos for creative stop it billy would you all right i can't take anymore I'm feeling woozy here. Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson breathed new life into the horror genre and revitalized slasher films for a new generation. This smart meta take celebrates horror fandom and influenced films for years to come. It's one of the many highlights of Craven's storied career and is one of the reasons his legacy might never be matched. I mean, all hell goes face. I said it. Number eight, Maniac. Being very careless, blood in your hair. What will people say? What will we do? You want to look pretty, don't you? 
Maniac is the kind of film that you feel like you need to take a shower after watching. I mean, truly transgressive. It's disturbing because it kind of puts you in the shoes of the killer. Joe Spinell gives an unforgettable performance in this pseudo-character study of a psychopath scalping his victims and stapling his trophies on mannequins. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> the film itself is filled with some intense sequences that are well-crafted and of course enhanced by the special effects of Tom Savini. Incredibly controversial at the time, Maniac has gone on to become a cult classic, and deservably so. Number 7. My Bloody Valentine That night at the dance, I found the boxes, blood dripping out the sides. Inside was a note, a warning from Harry, never to hold a Valentine's dance ever again. Every February 14th, Harry comes back to town, his pickaxe stained with blood, waiting in the shadows of the Henniger mine, just for someone to kill, should they not heed his warning. For me, My Bloody Valentine is the quintessential 80s slasher film. It has all the elements that I love. A strong backstory and a great look for the killer, creative kills, a likable cast, and a little bit of mystery. Also, the coal mine setting gives the film this unique aesthetic that we've never really seen before, and I think it really helps it to stand out. Um, it's a shame that we didn't get a sequel, but the remake wasn't half bad. Um, this coming Valentine's Day, do yourself a favor and check it out, but make sure you do it right and pick up the Scream Factory version of it. I mean, because it restores all the glory of the original kills. Number 6. Candyman My victim. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now I must shed innocent blood. Come with me. A true standout among horror films in general is the tale of Candyman. Virginia Madsen and Tony Todd bring life to this horrifying urban legend. This slasher film takes a deeper look into society as Helen Lyle investigates Candyman and the cruel reality of what birthed this monster into being. Clive Barker and Bernard Rose put on a disturbing film chock full of unforgettably disturbing imagery, but it's Tony Todd's voice and performance that will leave you feeling haunted and truly fearing the name Candyman. An absolute must watch for any who haven't experienced it yet. Number 5. 1974 Black Christmas Christmas is an unsung horror classic that even though over the last decade or so it's been finally getting some attention for its importance to the subgenre, I still don't think it gets enough credit for just how influential of a film it really is. I mean, in my estimation, it belongs in the same breath of 
like films like Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, when you're talking about its importance to the horror genre. Bob Clark, I mean, who also directed another Christmas film on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, um, The Fantastic A Christmas Story, crafted a twisted, eerie masterpiece that uses the juxtaposition of Christmas to truly unnerve his audiences. I mean, any horror fan worth their salt will recognize after viewing this film just how pioneering it really is from the you know pov use to the closing montage of the different murder scenes to like the use of the holiday backdrop it's all there i mean its influence on halloween the film is undeniable and carpenter himself has said as much uh, as Christmas break begins, a killer hides in the attic of a sorority house, calling and tormenting these girls while picking them off one by one. I mean, one thing that I love about this film is we never truly know who the killer is. This adds a sense of tension throughout the film as Clark uses our knowledge that the killer is in the house against us. I mean, through the use of these obscene manic phone calls that really get underneath your skin. I mean, sincerely, these phone calls are fucked up from Billy or Agnes. I mean, I mean, you never know the killer's name. But, I mean, they just do a fabulous job of painting how sick and perverse this monster must be. Um, Clark also takes the time to develop these characters, making them feel real. This is done by giving them individual backstories that, you know, with great performances by actresses like Margot Kidder and Olivia Hussey, really take the film up a notch. The fact that you're drawn in by these characters, I mean, really puts you on the edge of your seat when they're in peril. Also, the kills in this movie are really well shot. They don't waste them at all. I mean, using their imagery to haunt the movie was a brilliant choice by Clark. He really adds this like cloud of dread that hangs over the film. The sound design is simple and effective. I mean, a few well-placed like piano keys here and there and some somber Christmas carols. I mean, the score isn't telegraphing the horror, but enhancing it. Also, Clark does a great job using silence to build up suspense. I mean, something that I wish other filmmakers would do nowadays. Um, there's no better example of this than the end of the film, when everything is died down and the police have packed up and left. Hussey is alone in the quiet, and then all of a sudden, the phone rings. I mean, <laughs> and we know the nightmare probably isn't over because Billy or fucking Agnes is on the other end. If that doesn't give you chills, nothing will. So, I mean, if you have not seen this film, do yourself a favor and absolutely check this out. Number 4. 1974. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular, Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. One of the most unsettling films in the slasher genre by far has got to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre. With a low budget and grueling filming conditions, Tobe Hooper directed a film where you could feel the tension in every frame. 
That use of a 16mm film gave it this raw, unmistakably gritty look that gave some audiences a sense of watching something that was really happening. While the franchise has a legacy of gore, the first film might actually like surprise you with how little there actually was. Um, the real terror came from how the home and family were shot. You get the sense that they're really in a human slaughterhouse. And because of that, not only does it make the film stand out, but it allows it to hold up as a truly different kind of scare every Halloween season. Number 3. Friday the 13th Part 4. The Final Chapter. This was an incredibly difficult decision. I mean, since we're only allowing one film per franchise on this countdown, the question becomes, which Friday the 13th is the best overall? While Jason has had some weak entries, it has also had some absolute classics, and you can make the case that it might be the strongest franchise overall. For me, what it boiled down to was if I was tasked with introducing someone to the series, I mean, what film would I start with? And my answer had to be the final chapter. The final chapter has it all, and while part 6 comes in a close second, it's the final chapter that just feels like the pinnacle of the franchise. For me, it all really starts with the characters. What's different about this film compared to the others, um, the characters aren't just cannon fodder. They actually take the time to give them personalities, to make you care about them to a certain extent. I mean, from Jimmy, played by Crispin Glover, to, you know, his buddy Ted, to Corey fucking Feldman as Tommy Jarvis, everyone has their own story arcs that allows you to genuinely get invested and care about their fates. They're not just there to pad the body count. Director Joseph Zito also like turns up the fear factor in this film. I mean, out of all the films in the franchise, the final chapter feels like a straight horror film. I mean, and Crispin Glover's dancing aside, it's a lot less campy than some of the other entries. And if you look at it, it's a pretty dark film. I mean, I think honestly, this is probably the last time I viewed Jason as scary. This was partially due, I think, to like the main protagonist being a child, something that hadn't really been seen in a Friday the 13th film yet. I know for me personally, when I first saw this movie, I was around Tommy's age, so whereas before I kind of felt safe watching these films because it seemed like, you know, Jason only stalked teenagers, now all bets were off. It also helped that Tommy himself was incredibly relatable. I mean, being a huge horror fan himself. So, but before we move on, let's talk about Ted White for a second. 
I mean, he's an awesome fucking Jason and really doesn't get his just dues. He's incredibly menacing and vicious in this film and adds this great physicality to the character. He got to execute some of the best kills in the franchise. I mean, all from the mind of the godfather of gore himself, Tom Savini, who's returning to the franchise at this point. I mean, the effects really put this film on the next level. The hacksaw head twist still holds up today, goddammit. <laughs> so you add all these things up and you have a tremendous slasher film that stands the test of time and is one of the main reasons why Friday the 13th is still part of pop culture today. Number two, Nightmare on Elm Street. Just meet me at my porch at midnight. Oh, and meanwhile. Meanwhile? Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Freddy Krueger is a character that personifies the slasher genre, making it even harder to shut your eyes at night. Nightmare on Elm Street started Wes Craven's horrifying franchise with a killer that gets you when you're most vulnerable. While Robert England's Freddy is a bona fide horror icon, in my personal opinion, he was never scarier than he was in the first film. And I believe that's why it tends to stand out the most for me. There was more of a sense of pure evil behind his maniacal ways, and you could feel that evil getting stronger with every kill. On top of the terrifying Kruger, we were also introduced to one of horror's best heroes in Nancy, played by Heather Loggenkamp, who was far from your ordinary final girl. Um, she's a badass that takes on this nightmare head first. This combination of incredibly memorable performances to nightmare-inducing kills such as Tina, you know, being ripped open and then flying through the air begging for her fucking life, or Glenn turning into a reverse blood fountain makes this easily a fan favorite and deserving of being one of your Halloween go-tos. And now the number one pick for best slasher film, 1978, Halloween. Excuse me, Lori. Oh, Mr. Brackett, I'm sorry, Mr. Brackett. Oh, I didn't mean to startle you. That's all right. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? So was there any doubt what number one was going to be on this list? I mean, Halloween is the Citizen Kane of slasher films. It's not only one of my favorite horror films of all time, but it's just one of my favorite films bar none. Michael Myers has really become like the Santa Claus of the holiday. And while yes, there has been other films that have influenced the subgenre, Halloween has defined it. I mean, what else can I say about Halloween that hasn't been said before? It's a cultural touchstone. For better or worse, it went on to trigger a tsunami of copycat films that shaped the horror genre for the next two decades. The unstoppable force of nature, Michael Myers, I mean, the personification of evil, returns home on Halloween night to stalk his unexpecting victims. So while subsequent slasher films relied on a high body count and gore to scare their audiences, Halloween is just the perfect mix of atmosphere and suspense. It's Carpenter's artistry as a storyteller that takes this simple story and makes it modern mythology. From the opening POV scenes, to the reveal of the young Michael, to the closing shot letting us know that the boogeyman is still out there, Carpenter never lets his audience off the hook. 
His fluid and innovative camera movements puts us in the middle of the film, making us feel like a disembodied spirit watching the story unfold. I mean, it's his masterful use of light and focus that heightens the tension as Michael hides in the shadows. And then there's the frickin' score, <laughs> written and performed by Carpenter himself. It's just one of the most iconic pieces of music in cinema history, and operates almost as like the voice of Michael himself. Also, there's the performances. Another undeniable voice in this film is that of Dr. Loomis, who acts as a narrator of the impending doom. Through his campfire-like monologues, he lets us know that we're dealing with something primal and an unadulterated evil. This, of course, runs in contrast to the young, innocent Laurie Strode. She has no idea that she's in for the fight of her life. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis's performance gives us a rooting interest in the character and is the archetype for final girls to come. One of the most astonishing aspects of this film is that it's done on a shoestring budget of only $300,000. I mean, becoming one of the most successful independent films of all time, grossing over $46 million in its first run. This is no small feat in 1978 and really lets you know that Halloween isn't just another horror film. It transcended that and became something more, really hitting a nerve with audiences. Like Damon said about Laurie being the archetype for Final Girl, I, I honestly feel like I can say Michael and Halloween as a whole is what most directors that take a stab at making a slasher really are inspired by. But unfortunately, not many can hold a torch to this because they miss those elements of real stalking and tension-fueled storytelling. Instead, effects often win out over building a great villain like Michael Myers. And in this first film, there isn't really all that much to the character outside of Loomis's description of his evil. The mask alone is, you know, a Captain Kirk mask from, <laughs> from fucking Star Trek. So, I mean, it just goes to show how well Carpenter put together his story and why Halloween sits at number one in our countdown. And if you haven't seen Halloween, I don't know, like, you know, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Pick up this movie, check it out, watch it on Halloween as your list after you listen to this episode, of course, and enjoy. But yeah, that does it for Horror Month. That was our final countdown. If you disagreed with anything that we've said on any of our countdowns, let us know in the comments below. Uh, we'll definitely like to check out your opinions on what you thought should be on our top slasher films list. All right, so Christian. Also this week, we're reviewing The Craft Legacy. Let's get into it. And now, our feature presentation. Um, wow, that is super nasty. Oh. All right, enough. Settle down. So hey, it happens to everyone. He's made us all cry at one point or another. You should come over after school. all this this is a ceremony to celebrate you why would you celebrate me because you're out fourth just in time for first period a group of high school students form a coven of witches in a matter of moments uh, a sequel to the 1996 film the craft this was written and directed by Zoe Lister-Jones, and it stars Callie Spaney, I believe, uh, Gideon Ad Adlon, 
Lovey Simone, and Zoe Luna. So The Craft Legacy has a lot of potential to be a good film, but the end, unfortunately, it just falls far short. Um, truth be told, I did find myself rooting for this film, though. The cast is incredibly strong and likable, and for the most part, it's a well-made film except for the third act, which we'll talk about. Um, I love the choice of using real teenagers uh, for these roles instead of mid-20-somethings like the original did. It made their relationships feel a lot more authentic, and they feel like actual high school students. They have great chemistry together, and you want to see them prevail, which is important in a film. Also, I think the message of empowerment and unity is a good one and something that shouldn't be overlooked, and it's a nice addition to the original themes. And while I love the original film, like I talked about, it's definitely not a perfect movie by any means, but I do have a lot of nostalgia for it. Um, with all that being said, there's just too many flaws for this new movie to overcome. It betrays the promise of the premise. I mean, if it's marketed as a pseudo like sequel to the original craft, you're definitely walking into this film with a certain level of expectations. And the main one is being that it's supposed to be a fucking horror film. <laughs> Instead, we get a very special episode of Dawson Creek where like maybe like Pacey and Joey happen to discover witchcraft. Uh, the film feels far too safe and neutered. Uh, they replace a lot of the dark, creepy feel of the original with fucking sparkles and freaking butterflies. Also, there's no sense of tension or concern that their powers might be too much for them. They're playing with dark fucking magic, for crying out loud, and it seems like they've just mastered it out of nowhere. There's no threat of them being overwhelmed by it or tempted by it. And if that wasn't the story they wanted to tell, that would be fine, but there's a certain point where that does actually end up happening, um, you know, and they do end up going too far, and it's just kind of like an afterthought because there's no build-up for it. Also, while I said the girls have good chemistry, all but the lead are fully fleshed-out characters. In the original, they're given motives for wanting these powers, and their backstories made them sympathetic to a certain extent, but I mean... <laughs> Where the film really goes off the rails um, is the ending, and it's by far, like, the film's biggest issue. The true threat of the movie doesn't reveal itself to the last five minutes. I mean, you have your suspicions and everything, but it feels like these motives and reasoning for things that are happening at the end are just coming completely out of nowhere. It's like all of a sudden they realized, oh shit, we're making a horror film, and they tried to pay it off in a cringeworthy two-minute fight scene. It also has some of the worst CGI I've seen in a while. I mean, there's no suspense at all. It just kind of happens, and it leaves so many like plot holes and unanswered questions. It just leaves your head spinning. At the end, they do try to reward longtime craft fans um, with the promise of a much more interesting sequel, but it's just far too little too late, and it definitely feels shoehorned in last minute. Um, so honestly, you know, when I think about it, it, it they really could have just made their own original film here and take some of these themes and casts and do their own thing, and it probably would have been a much better movie. But calling it The Craft just felt like a studio trying to capitalize on a cult classic. And that's the exact kind of remake horror fans hate. Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately for me, it only took about 10 minutes with these characters to understand 
that I wasn't going to like the film that much. Uh, but as it continued and we learned nothing redeemable or interesting about the main four girls, and then the concept of being magic users just kind of, you know, being glossed over entirely until the last minute plot deemed it necessary to bring up, I found myself just wanting to turn it off. Um, in the original craft, our main character, while tempted by power, at least started off spooked by her abilities and what these girls um, were aiming to achieve as witches. And it took multiple moments and montages for them um, learning about magic before it overwhelmed them in general. Um, this entry into the craft was just, hey, you're our fourth and we have powers now. And that's it. On the film leaking side, itself, I would say, was shot at a par level of any film. Nothing special there. Um, the effects and CGI were bad as well. So while we have technical advances, somehow they produced effects that looked worse than its 90s counterpart um, and shot a film that didn't stand out or show anything to me in a unique sense that would stand it apart from its 90s counterpart. And while I understand I am being pretty harsh on this film, from my point of view, I went in with low standards and was handed something that didn't even equate to those. I believe each person in this film is a capable actor. I just believe the writers failed to give me characters that I would find at the least entertaining or the parts that would make them fully fledged characters with in with interesting backstories and such were simply cut for time. And with that said, I will be giving this movie a solid F. Um, there was simply never a moment where I felt entertained as a viewer. It didn't in the slightest live up to its predecessor and quite honestly left me wanting my time back. But yeah, what would what would you give this as a grade, Damon? I'm going to give this film a D plus, and that's solely based on the performances of the girls in the coven. I did like some of the new themes they tried to introduce, but unfortunately it was attached to a bad movie. This film just needed to be injected with some good old fashioned horror and suspense, but instead it feels like we got what everyone feared when we first saw the trailer, you know, a bad pilot episode to some lame CW show. And also, like, where was the fucking Smith song? That was such a no brainer. I mean, maybe Morrissey saw this film and didn't want any part of it, and I can't fucking blame him for that, but, I mean, come on, people. Throw me a bone. I mean, even now, like, when I'm thinking about it, it's like, do you think there was maybe, like, a whole other film there that we have no idea about? Like, 30 to 40 minutes of footage that are just gone? Oh, absolutely. Because there's a lot of dots that need to be connecting, because it really makes no sense, like, how mm -hmm. they just jump from one scene to another um like a few like you know key discoveries that happen that just feel like just come out of nowhere and then there's like little subplots that feel like you know are going somewhere that just like hit a wall out of nowhere um so i i don't know man it definitely reeks of like getting the edict from a studio like this film needs to be an hour and a half long and that's that <laughs> You know, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be some like special director's cut on like Blu-ray or something that comes out with like an additional, you know, like you said, half hour <laughs> of like, you know, scenes. So. So, so you're saying we're going to get the Lister Jones cut next. Huh? Yes. But. Yes. <laughs> get ready for all the articles. <laughs> I'm sure they're just cutting it down for TV right now so it can be on free form in like next month. Or so, so. <laughs> the Hallmark Channel. Exactly. <laughs> do you think David Duchovny like lost a bet? Like, do you think that's why he's in this film? My guess was he was low on funds, dude. <laughs> I, I, <that> was... <laughs> he's got X Files money. He can't be low on on funds. Come on. You never know. He could have a gambling problem. Maybe that that's the bet he lost. Yeah, be in this fucking movie. You, you're telling me Mulder's <laughs> living the hard life. Is yes. that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs>
All right. Well, we both can agree. Don't see this film. All right. It's that time again. It's time for Christian's Corner. All right. Today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about cyberpunk again, per usual. But before that, I wanted to talk about PS5 impressions on the U.S. side. Some U.S. players actually got to, you know, get their hands on the PS5 and stuff like that. And while information is still pretty limited to what they were able to share, um, they did get to actually like get their hands on the controller and, you know, play that, you know, that Astros game that we talked about a couple weeks ago um, with the Japanese impressions. Um, so far, things seem to be positive. Um, a lot of people are talking about the controller um, for the most part. Uh, you know, with the haptic feedback and all the stuff that they promised with it, you know, people are raving about it. There are a few reviewers that are saying, you know, it's kind of like the middle ground between, um, you know, the PS4 controller and the Xbox um, One controller, which, you know, even I can agree, you know, even as a PS4 player, I've always, you know, that Xbox Elite controller was superb. You know, like as soon as I started actually bought one of those for PC and started using it, I, I immediately, you know, could tell the quality compared. And that's what I was looking for out of um, Sony for a while. It's like, why don't they make anything to this grade? Um, you know, people are saying that this controller, you know, gets close, but not, you know, as you know, groundbreaking or, you know, earth shattering as the Elite controller really was. Um, I definitely think, you know, there's probably room for a more customizable controller down the road if the um, you know the ne the next dual sense i believe it's called is really you know as powerful as they say you know I, I can only imagine what a more you know premium version of that controller could be now that's you know if th that's if they allow that tech to get out there and if they allow um, other people to play with it or if they even make their own uh, more premium controller because i'm i'm down for that you know i really love the elite controller um, you know, it just feels right in your hands. Um, but you know, a lot of people are saying that the new design of the DualSense controller, you know, feels so much better now than the PS4 one. So I, I mean, only time will tell when I actually get to um, try that out. Uh, it'll be sometime next year because I, I'm telling you right now, I'm not getting one right off the bat. <laughs> There's probably no way, uh, even when like they come back on sale and stuff like that, um, it's it's gonna be sold out for a while. <laughs> Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about cyberpunk today. Um, there was another delay, uh, as you've probably heard. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, you definitely saw my reactions there. Um, that's at amazing nerd live. Uh, <laughs> it was delayed to December 10th. Um, this is a day after <laughs> day after they confirmed that there wouldn't be another delay again. They were on Twitter, you know, boasting about it. Um, I think it was an at penguino. Um, asked, you know, make sure you know, this this is actually coming out on its day. There won't be any more delays. And they, you know, they said full confirmation. Um, and then the very next day, uh, <laughs> execs come out and say we're pushing it back 21 days to December 10th. Um, you know, like I've, like I've said before, the take as much time as you need to make the game perfect. Um, you know, if that's what if you guys need more time, take the time. Um, you know, the release date is really put out for, you know, probably for people that like invest in the company rather because they, they want to know when they're going to get a return on their investment. You know, that's just how that works. They want to have a set date. You know, it's less for the fans and more for them at this point, because I mean, we could wait forever. They don't need to put out, you know, a new release date every single time. Like if they had like back what in April, if they had said, 
you know, hey, um, we're, we're changing the release date. We don't know just yet, but when we get closer, we'll put out a more official one. I think that would have probably worked out. But, you know, uh, people are definitely uh, in disarray. <laughs> a lot of people have taken days off and stuff like that. Um, you know, it, it was right around the corner at this point. You know, we were under a month for the first time <laughs> to, uh, to actually play the game. And, you know, we, we lost it again. It was pushed back. Um, you know, it's, it's a game that I'm super excited for. Um, a lot of people are. It's it, it, it's disappointing, but, you know, it's, it's what you... You would rather them put out a finished product than put out something that's really shitty <laughs> or you know like something with tons of bugs and shit like that the reason that they're behind currently uh they're stating is that the game isn't still ready or prepared to run on all the systems that they are promised you know there has to be nine different versions of the game going to you know all the different consoles next gen um, current gen and pc um, and stadia of course um, and they're trying to get all of those optimized properly um, while being working at home was the official statement that they made. Um, you know, there are, you know, new rumors coming out left and right. Not technically new since a lot of this was talked about before, but, um, you know, it was brought up before at one point that maybe this game might be too ambitious to run on the, con the current consoles, um, PS4 and Xbox One. Um, you know, there were rumors in the past that it was running like garbage on the PS4 at one point. Um, and that was one of the big, you know, why they pushed it the first time. Now, they, I mean, they immediately refuted that. Um, but, you know, as we approach this next 21 day delay, um, that, that rumor is really coming back in. You know, is it, is it really just a problem with the current gen consoles? Maybe this game isn't optimizing well for that. You know, it, it's pretty big. You know, they have a lot on screen at one time running as far as we've seen. And, you know, that that could be hurting the console. I mean, I, I've played a lot of newer games this year and you can see while I'm on stream that, you know, my PlayStation is struggling sometimes to even load a next mission and stuff like that, because, you know, it's it's a lot on it. You know, it's a seven year old console at this point it's gonna get a little bit more intensive for it to run and I can't imagine how big this game is and how much that probably affects these current-gen consoles um, you know it's I mean I understand that they don't want that kind of you know publicity coming out like oh this game that they promised to come out on these consoles doesn't work for these consoles you know that's I mean that doesn't look good you know but I mean and you don't want to like Optimize it to the point where it starts to not match the quality that you originally had wanted to put out um, You know, that's It's it's a catch-22 <laughs> right there. You know, they could they could push it back again for like months and then you know Make it only a next-gen like exclusive at this point if they really wanted to um, You know, it's 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 possible at this point. You never know um, I, I'd be extremely disappointed with that <laughs> especially since I was like already like literally last week saying, you know, oh man, next month is going to be so great. There's so many games coming out, cyberpunk's coming out, movies I want to see are out. Uh, all this stuff was going on, television shows and stuff. I was really excited. And, and you know, to cap that all off, it, it was cyberpunk. You know, it's, it's a game that I've been trying to play for a long time. So it's like, ah, ah, trust me, I'm there. I'm frustrated with you guys. Um, I, I'm not frustrated. I'm not frustrated to the point where I'm going to be sending death threats to the developers i don't really understand why that's happening i do i mean you there's fans out there a lot of them concerned about crunch you know it crunch is terrible it sucks it needs to be changed 
needs to be stopped crunches you know caused by poor management of time and stuff like that i get it um don't send death threats to the developers uh they don't deserve that they're working their asses off to try to put you know a game out for you to play and they and they're excited to do so you know we ever mostly i hear a lot of goodwill from their team you know i mean i hear that they're hurt some of them are working fucking 100 hour weeks you know um, speculation and rumors and stuff like that but um you know and, and that's not healthy for anyone but you you don't you know they don't need to go home and open up twitter or, or some shit like that and find you know i'm gonna fucking kill you for you know working too damn hard on this game and shit like that you know i i know a lot of the anger is put towards the people that are more in charge and stuff like that i just don't think it's necessary uh I, i'm just gonna say that you know crunch is happening everywhere um if you want crunch to end you know push for legislation to stop you know crunch in general i make it so that people that are in charge just can't do it you know uh <laughs> you know fucking like there has to be some rules put in place um to stop it in general uh you know and, and if it costs you know costs the fucking executives more money that's how it should probably be uh but you know only again only time will fucking tell with how all this goes um my final question i guess for you guys is would you be upset if this game doesn't come out this year do you think it will come out in december 10th do you think it will be pushed back again um you know let me know your thoughts and comments and shit like that um lastly i want to talk about what's coming up with the stream um you know this last week i had a lot of issues with premiere and stuff like that which caused you know tons of issues with me uploading videos to youtube and stuff like that um i've gotten it pretty much figured out and fixed so my schedule has been you know running i've had videos come out each day this week um uh, so that seems to be seems to be back to normal so my streaming schedule should be you know getting back to normal and stuff like that um i won't be you know screaming at my computer trying to get it fixed <laughs> this time um watchdogs legions just came out um i'm gonna be playing that on sunday probably when you're listening to this right now i'll probably be streaming it um witcher i'm gonna continue on with the witcher uh, i'm gonna continue on with star wars squadrons um, eventually we'll get back into the outer worlds uh, when i probably have a slow week or something like that um i i'm still loving all these games um the the witcher's been fun um you know <laughs> it's definitely really taken up that slot i had for ghost of Tsushima. so i'm definitely you know excited to continue on with that it's definitely going to give me you know i think witcher and watchdogs will definitely get me through this big break that we have now until the next uh until the next delay of <laughs> cyberpunk 2077 so um definitely yeah tune into my twitch channel um that's at amazing nerd show on pretty much everything um otherwise you can get updates at amazing nerd live um and we also have our youtube channel where i post the edited down versions of everything i do on twitch um and that's the amazing nerd show on youtube so definitely check that out all right let's move on well, all right, it's time for our next segment. We got some wrestling to talk about. You ain't that type of person. You understand me? You ain't beat me. You can make all the excuses you want. You can feel any type of way you want. What'd I tell you? What'd I say? I was gonna make you quit. And what'd you do? You quit. Take the oath, accept the membership, 
and fall in line. All right, Dave, after weeks of the G1, I was a little wrestled out <laughs> personally. So I actually did not catch Hell in the Cell. Um, I've heard some some interesting things from it. Why don't you tell me your overall feelings for Hell in a Cell? Um, so, I mean, it was definitely better than the last two Hell in the Cell pay-per-views. I will say that. Um, but that's, of course, not saying much. It's basically <laughs> a three-match card. Um, all the other matches were very much an afterthought. Okay. Um, I still hate the concept that the Hell in a Cell is a pay-per-view. That has not changed. You know, it just doesn't feel organic. Um, and it feels like it kind of stops momentum in some of these like feuds that are going on. Like for me, I, I guess I'm just old, um, but I feel like the the cell should be used as like the crescendo of a feud. Uh, mm. But, you know, nowadays it's just another pay-per-view and it, I think that's unfortunate. So but with that being said, overall, I thought it was a decent pay-per-view. I have to ask, do you feel like this pay-per-view warranted three Hell in Cells in general? Like, was there enough difference between the three matches? I mean, yes and no. I did enjoy the Hell in a Cell matches for the most part, but I I just feel like a couple of them didn't need to take place in the cell at all because they didn't really utilize it that way. Well, here, let's talk about our first cell match. Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso. So this was a great story and an okay match. Uh, you know, and this is one of the matches where I felt like it didn't really need to be in the cell. Uh, you know, they made it an I quit match and this could have just been an I quit match and it would have been fine. Um, you know, the back and forth and the drama between Roman and the Usos, I think is fantastic. It's one of the best things WWE has going right now. Roman is just a monster as this character. Um, I love everything about him. His physicality's changed. I mean, his fucking mannerisms and his voice has seemed to change. Like he's really like engulfed into this new role right now um i thought this was well executed for the most part it did go a half hour and i i felt like that was a little long they could have shaved like a good like five ten minutes out of this and it would have been okay um but that being said i love the storyline and i know like i think months ago there was the rumor that you know we would be getting like a rock versus reigns match mm -hmm. um at wrestlemania and we kind of scoffed at that but now this just feels like the natural progression of like, you know, for Roman's character to eventually face off against The Rock. So I, I don't know. I really I really enjoy this program. I will say that. Um, but yeah, the match itself was kind of messy. There's <laughs> there's a lot of downtime and there's a lot of talking going on. Um, you know, WWE is realizing now without a crowd that they have control over the mics and they can kind of like focus in on the audio that's happening within like the ring to like kind of like drive up the drama. And for the most part, it's working. Um, but I don't know. They <laughs> There's just little sequences that for me felt a little clumsy. Like there's a whole thing where like Jay's trying to like strangle Roman with like this strap and he just can't get it over his neck to save the life <laughs> of him to the point where Roman almost literally has to like hold it around his neck himself, mm. you know, just things like that, that kind of like, I don't know, slowed the match down a little. Um, they both like choke each other out during this match. And I was terrified that we we're going to get another rough stoppage because that just feels like a WWE thing to do nowadays, especially in a hell of a cell, right? Mm -hmm. Thankfully that didn't happen. I like the ending. It was predictable, but I felt like, you know, sometimes predictable is good. You know, the fact that Roman used his brother against Jay to make him give up. 
I thought that was a cool angle and everything like that because it lets Jay kind of like save face here, you know. And I'm I'm interested to see where it goes next. Though now Jay and Jimmy are supposed to be subservient to like Roman and everything, so we'll see if they fall in line here. Um, I feel like they eventually will, and we'll have a, a strong unit. You don't think they'll just turn on him at some point? Eventually, maybe. I think oh. actually, I think if they don't go the Rock route. I think maybe it'll be Heyman who turns on Roman, hmm. you know, with like bringing back Lesnar. Oh, so okay. I like I could see that maybe happening down the line. But I think right now, since they did such a great job of like building up the importance of like the whole chief role in the family and like their culture, that they'll be forced to kind of like, you know, follow his lead, you know, whether they like it or not. Um, I could even see them doing something where at first they're begrudgingly and then all of a sudden they just go completely evil also with Roman. So, um, and I, 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 they'll be a force to be reckoned with. Definitely. Yes. But now that you've brought up Lesnar, I'm thinking, you know, what an easy way to like protect the rock if they wanted to do a triple threat, you know, in case the rock can't go a hundred percent. I don't think there's any way any of like the rocks people are going to ever let him in the ring with Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Just the amount of money that's wrapped up in him. They do not want that dude to get injured. He got injured his last <laughs> WrestleMania match and it cost him lots of money and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, cause he was supposed to be on like a, a set, I think the next day or something, but he like tore his groin completely. Um, so I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Like, it'll be curious too. Like if WWE can pull off getting him, I mean, that's mm-hmm. going to be a big deal, but I mean, I could see him coming back for family. All right. Well, up next, we had Elias defeating Jeff Hardy by disqualification. Yes, this was a match, Christian. (laughs) That happened on this pay-per-view. Why? (laughs) Um, Elias's heel again. Okay. Uh, His motives is because he feels like Jeff um, injured him by hitting him him with a car. Um, But this has been proven not true, like literally right off the bat, like the next week. But for some reason, Elias is still blaming him. Basically, they need an excuse to turn Elias heel. Um, He's turned a lot over the last couple years. Uh So he's kind (laughs) of starting to get in like big show territory. And a lot of times there isn't much of a reason. And this is one of those times. Mm -hmm. So the match was okay. It was like literally seven minutes long. And the feud is still continuing. So they're they're just hitting each other with guitars right now. (laughs) <laughs> we're in that that portion of the feud it wasn't like a drunk driver like yeah. thing though right yeah no oh, that's what God. the angle was yeah the angle was that Seamus was trying to frame Jeff for uh falling off the wagon and you know getting getting basically another like Dewey <laughs> uh so he couldn't like so he wouldn't have to wrestle him I guess <laughs> you know wrestling heels <laughs> <sighs> so that uh, did you miss that whole program? I saw the program where it was Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus, but I didn't oh, know if they that were was continuing. the whole like minutia. Like that was that that was what the program was like built around mm. was you know Hardy's like alcoholism. Yeah, it was really I, uncomfortable, I, unfortunate. We know that never ends well, you know, in real life for these wrestlers, but yeah, WWE loves to exploit it. So, <laughs> and yet he signed another contract. He did. But anyway, they must have paid him a lot of fucking money. I can't imagine. <laughs> All right, well, we had The Miz defeating Otis for his Money in the Bank briefcase. 
yes, this all started with the Miz just stealing Otis's Money in the Bank briefcase. And for some reason, he was able to take him into fake wrestling court over it. Um, and then they signed a match where it was up for grabs because Otis is a fucking idiot. Uh, <laughs> uh, this ended with Tucker, his uh, former partner, turning on him. So they've been separated through the draft. Um, Tucker was out there cheering him on, and then he went ahead and turned on him. And now, you know, Otis doesn't have the money in the bank um, uh, briefcase, and Miz does. I mean, I wish I could care about this, but I just don't. I, I kept on forgetting that <laughs> Otis even had the briefcase. <laughs> so um, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if Miz will actually end up cashing it in. I doubt it. I'm pretty sure they're going to just have an angle happen where Miz tries to cash it in and Otis costs him like the match. Oh, see, I was thinking they they'd toss it around a little bit more. Like maybe Otis will win another I, match against him and get it back. Or... I fucking hope not. <laughs> <laughs> This this program's already gone on like a month too long, so. <sighs> well, I don't want to see either of them as champion, so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you have any reason to be concerned. All right. Well, uh, up next, we had another Hell in a Cell match with Sasha Banks defeating Bayley by submission for the SmackDown Women's Championship. This was a damn good match. Um, I would have much rather have them have, you know, just a normal match to start off and build to this. Kind of mm. like I was talking about up front, like the natural progression of a feud. Because um, I don't know where they go from here. But this was probably the match of the night. You know, um, it, it, and I, honestly, I wish it would have gone on last. So, uh, you know, great physicality. You could tell that they thought out the spots. They've got, obviously, natural chemistry in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I mean, they were definitely taking liberties with each other um, since they're such good friends. That's always fun. You know, <laughs> they're they're very stiff, uh, you know, and there were some really cool spots here and there. Um, There's times where they got a little too proppy. You know, there's some shit with kendo sticks that just did not work whatsoever and just ill advised. It kind of like stopped the flow of the match. Mm-hmm. But overall, I mean, this was definitely the match of the night. Gotcha. This is definitely one I'm going to go back and watch before yeah, moving on. Yeah, you know, and Sasha did a great job of selling the angle, you know, and the relationship between her and Bailey at the end. After she won the championship, she didn't, like, get up and start celebrating right away. You could tell she was almost in mourning for the relationship, and that was a really nice story moment. All right, well, up next we had Bobby Lashley defeating the infamous Slapjack by submission uh, for the United States Championship. Yes, this was, I don't know, an angle that happened on the show. Um, this was not a planned match, but we got it anyway. Um, they're just done with Retribution. It was a nothing, nothing happening match whatsoever. Um, they're just burying Retribution at this point. I think they're 0-4 after Raw uh-huh. <laughs> this past week. So during the Raw match, it was once again the Hurt Business against uh, Retribution. Uh, it was elimination match, like Survivor Series, like rules. So I was like, okay, well, at least they're getting this out of the way, so we don't have to watch it during the Survivor Series because uh-huh. I just felt like like where this whole like feud was going was Survivor Series. Um, but they're like, no, we're gonna pay this off now. Um, and you can tell they're they're done with this. But Mia Yim like got into the ring and started to roll around on the ground, itching herself, like she was like having like some serious like coke bugs or something. Um, and that's how, like, one of the eliminations happened. That's how they're using their talent here. What? Yes. Yes. 
Go back and watch it. It's awful. I'll have to <laughs> check that out. You would think that would make maybe like tie that into the fiend or something, no. or like nope. It's Jesus. just the thing that happened. Um, They've got bud bugs. Yeah, like <laughs> bed bugs. <laughs> um, yeah. So they, uh, yeah, I don't know. They're they're just done with retribution and they're writing them up. That's what it feels like. I don't see how they can turn this thing around at this point. I mean, they're literally zero and four. You know, um, every time Ali, after they lose, like they have him cut this promo, um, Ali's trying his best to get this thing over. It's just <laughs> it's just not working. Um, and, I, you know, everyone was so fucking excited when they announced Ali as like the leader. All I could keep on thinking about was that th- that reveal happened the match before the main event on Raw. That's usually like the dead zone of like uh-huh. raw. <laughs> so like to me, like if they have it there, they don't give a shit about it. You know, th- this angle. And then they didn't even show up on raw the next week to explain anything. So, I mean, I don't know. This was cursed from the beginning. <laughs> I I just feel bad for Ali, man. I do too. I do too. But at least he's on TV. <laughs> I guess. Cause he wasn't before. All right, um, last up, we had the last Hell in a Cell match with Randy Orton defeating Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. This was a solid match. Um, Drew took a fucking nasty bump off the cage. He's a big guy to be going through a fucking table. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this is one of those matches, though, where I, I just miss, you know, fucking bloodshed. (laughs) that just makes me cringe it just like you have all these big impactful spots happening and there's not one drop of fucking blood you know and i obviously i've been a wrestling fan for a long time and i've seen lots of cage matches and you know in my mind you know you get hit or you get your face grinded against that cage there's supposed to be blood shed and i feel like (laughs) this match definitely needed that you know, to get over in my eyes. It was fine as a match, but, you know, once again, like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where they're going after this. You know, they had to give Randy Orton the belt here because I think they want this feud to continue on, but you can't have him go fucking 0-3 against Drew Mm -hmm. and for it to make any sense whatsoever. Um, Part of me is still concerned, too, for Drew. I hope he doesn't get lost in the shuffle. I hope that he's still in their main event plans. Um, even if it's like, you know, regaining the title at WrestleMania and giving him like a, bi- a big build up again. Um, and, and hopefully at that point he gets to do it like in front of a crowd and celebrate because they were behind him. and They booked him, you know, well, you know, he's the strongest baby face they have right now. Um, but I also could see like Edge coming in, you know, and feuding for that mm. title for a while. You know, and maybe even leading to a WrestleMania match. We know this on this past week on Raw, you had Bray Wyatt show up. That seems to, you know, be the start of some kind of program between them. Um, Drew and Randy and Bray all ended that show kind of facing off. Um, I did like that. I liked that Bray kind of tied it back into like, you know, the previous feud between him and Randy. Um, That was well done. I mean, I, it brings up bad memories because those matches were the shits, but <laughs> <laughs> I still like that aspect of it. And, you know, having Drew involved, you know, adds a little bit of a wild card. But we do know that Survivor Series, it's champion versus champion again, mm. which I just, I, I'm done with that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't need that anymore. Especially since, like, ha- half these guys were on each other's shows just, like, a month ago. Like, Sasha's going to be facing off against Asuka. 
we saw Sasha versus Asuka, like, I don't know, like, ten <laughs> times over the last, yes. like, three or four months. So is that really, like, an exciting match? Like, it, don't get me wrong. It's going to be a good match, but we've just, hmm. it's nothing new. It's nothing exciting. I just don't know why they don't do the draft, like, in, like, December or, like, at some other point of the year. You know, why I put it so close to Survivor Series if you want to do these, like, brand versus brand type deals. Because you've kind of lessened the impact of that feud uh-huh. if they were all kind of together in the first place just a month ago. You know, if they're well, all- didn't it didn't it used to be, like, after the first, like, pay-per-view, after, like, payback or whatever, um, after um, WrestleMania, that even, they would do it? I don't even remember. Oh, you're talking about the draft? Yes. Um, yes, I believe so. I believe it was some, I don't think it was always like the fall with the draft originally. Mm-hmm. So. I thought it was summer beforehand, but. And now they do like a shuffle in the middle of the year too. Yes. So it just doesn't feel important anymore. Especially since you have fucking Otis against Miz and they're on two opposite shows at this point. Mm-hmm. So they're already like not giving a shit about the draft, <laughs> like right <laughs> off the top. Like, they're like, okay, here's the first pay-per-view, and we don't care about the draft anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, I just don't know. I mean, Roman versus Randy is going to be, you know, an interesting match at least. But I feel like, once again, like, when you do things like this and have pay-per-views like this that are, that are so gimmicky, it, like, stops the natural progression of the feuds that are going on. So, I don't know. That's just me, I guess. Um, on Raw, I was kind of hoping Alexa would uh, sister Abigail Randy Orton <laughs> during that scene. Oh, <laughs> I thought it would be like a great twist there. I did also love um, that he chose to fight McIntyre rather than deal with the Fiend. Yes. <laughs> After saying moment. he wasn't scared uh-huh. of him. Yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. Um, I would like to see Alexa Bliss to, like actually get like physical in the ring. You know, while out there with Bray, like, you know, jumping on people's backs and shit like that and like gouging out their eyes or whatever. Um, you know, I'd like to see that kind of more like demented side of the character. Make her, I mean, make her like vicious. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're bringing back the whole Randy Orton versus Bray Wyatt story, I mean, Randy Orton supposedly killed Sister Abigail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it'd be a great aspect to like maybe she channels her or something. Yes, I don't know. That's great. I was just going to say, like, maybe she's possessed uh-huh. by her um that would definitely work i think so i just hope that they don't like i hope she doesn't just become a prop for bray and that Mm -hmm. she still continues like wrestling too and let her be her own character yes you know and like let her like once again like if she's out there with bray have her actually do something like enhance the match yeah yeah. i definitely agree with that uh what would be your overall star rating for hell in a cell damon i'm gonna give it three and a half stars um, and that's just because there was a, such a lack of an undercard. I mean, the three main events were all fine and, and entertained me the entire time. But like, there's literally no undercard to speak of on this show. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say three and a half stars overall. Yeah, it's crazy to see matches under 10 minutes on a pay-per-view like this in general. Yeah, I mean, especially with this few, like, matches on the mm-hmm. card, too. I mean, there's, what, six matches all together. So, and one of them, would, like, just was, like, a throw-in at the last minute. So, I mean, I do feel like they could have, like, shaved a couple minutes off of each one of the Hell in Cell matches. They all pretty much went 30 minutes. Yes. And they could have, like, spread it out between the undercard, and it would have been a much better show. All right, well, that does it for this week. 
All right, but before we head out, make sure to head over to dramacityproductions.com where you can hear us and plenty of other great podcasts. That's right, and if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Yeah, it definitely helps an independent podcast like us keep on going. And you know what? If you like any of the stories that we talked about this episode, make sure you go ahead and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and see the full versions of these articles, plus a whole lot more. Yeah, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show. That's your nerd hub for all things pop culture. And if you're looking to further support the show, go ahead and buy some merch over at Tee Public. They have shirts, they have sweatshirts, I think they have mugs, bumper stickers, the works, man. Absolutely. And you can also head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and find our merch there as well. Yeah, while you're at it, go ahead and pick up your favorite wrestler's t-shirt. All right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, since we record these episodes on Wednesday, next week we're going to get to finally talk about the first episode of Season 2 of the highly anticipated Mandalorian. It's finally here, Christian. Yes. All right. And a whole lot more, right? But I mean, what else matters besides the Mandalorian? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. This is the way. This is the way. All right. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that's the Amazing Nerd Show. Happy Halloween, people. Happy Halloween. Be safe. Trick or treat however old you want to be. Just wear a mask. (laughs) Social distance. Social distance. Probably stay at home. (laughs) What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was.